0: You know, about two weeks ago, free agency in the NFL kind of just blew up. I mean, it was, it went crazy. There were people that were some of our beloved players. There might be a DeAndre Hopkins for the Houston Texans. There's Tom Brady for the Patriots. There was Phillip Rivers for the Chargers. And all of a sudden now they're wearing different jerseys and, and people were upset. People were frustrated, not sure, you know, what's going on, what's happening. But what's interesting to me is when these players, will come back into the stadiums that used to be their home turf, now wearing a different jersey? And how will the fans respond? You know, a number of years ago, when the San Francisco Giants were playing the LA Dodgers, the LA Dodgers were their hated rivals. The Giants fans couldn't stand the Dodgers. The Dodgers couldn't stand the Giants. And, and early uh, on in the season, well, what happened is Brett Butler, the Giants' beloved center fielder in free agency, signed to go with the Dodgers. So he went to their, their hated rivals. Well, early on in the season, uh, the Dodgers went into San Francisco Giants Stadium, and they were doing the lineups, and, and, and all of a sudden now, Brett Butler, now wearing a Dodger uniform, gets announced, and as he's heading out, people erupt in cheering. They're just, the crowd is just roaring. They're excited to see their former beloved player, and they're just applauding and screaming for him. They love him. And right then, Brett Butler does something that shocks the entire crowd. He makes a beeline for his now, uh, excuse me, manager, Tommy Lasorda, and the Giants fans can't stand him. He makes a beeline for him, goes over, and gives him a big old hug. Well, all of a sudden, the cheers and the screaming, we love you, and all that stuff totally changed in that instant to now they're all booing and saying all kinds of horrible stuff. And the game goes on, and then after the game, the press go into the locker room, and they ask Brett Butler, why in the world did you do that? And this is what he said. He says, I've now turned a chapter in the course of my career. He says, I'm no longer a Giant, and I wanted everybody to know that I am now a Dodger. And see, for some of you, you might think, well, man, that's kinda in your face, that kinda seems over the top. But see, I think what Brett Butler did in that moment is what every single one of us as followers of Jesus need to be able to do. We need to make it crystal clear who we belong to. And hear me on this, I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, driving down the road with a speaker on your car that's, you know, screaming out, you know, you're gonna go to hell if you don't repent. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about, you know, going over to HEB or going to Costco, you know, while people are trying to get in and find stuff and you're sitting there preaching at people with the Bible and telling them how, you know, bad they are and how wrong they are and those kind of things. That's not what I'm talking about. But does anybody know who you belong to? You know, just like the crowd that thought Brett Butler was kind of one of their own, even though he was wearing a different jersey, they still thought, at, at heart, Brett Butler was still a giant, even though he was wearing a Dodger uniform, and people often think the very same thing with Christians. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I know he goes to church now, and you know, I I know he's kind of into that. You know, I know he reads his Bible. He kind of talks about Jesus. I know he goes to church. I know he calls himself a Christian. But come on, man, he's he's still one of us. Do they know anything has changed in your life? Because see, in their mind, nothing has changed. I remember in my first semester in college. And my my roommate, Jason, was an agnostic. He was actually a a former teammate of mine in high school, my basketball team. And we were roommates. And uh, this is before I went to, I transferred out and went to Bible college and my life changed. But uh, I remember uh, this one night, he had a lot of questions for me. Because he would see me read my Bible. And he would see me talk and have conversations about Jesus but he'd also see me party like crazy. And he had all kinds of questions. And he says, he says, you know, Bob, he goes, I respect what you believe, but I just don't see my need for Jesus. And I was like, seriously, why? Like, why not? And this is what he said. He says, because I don't see any difference between you and me. And I'm just telling you, in that moment, I was rocked not because of necessarily what he said, but because of the fact of what he said was true about me. He could not tell any difference between what my life and what my words were saying. He couldn't tell that there was any any change from what I said I believed, but I wasn't living it consistently in front of him. My life and my words did not line up. They were not synced up together. And so he thought, man, if if you need Jesus, I don't see a whole lot of difference between you and me. don't necessarily know if I need Jesus. See, it wasn't clear to Jason who I belong to. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it should be clear, not in this self-righteous way, not in a judgmental way, not in a legalistic way. But now that you have God's Spirit living in you, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you now have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, now living within you. The Scriptures tell us that we are now a new creation. Your loyalty, your allegiances, your priorities should be changing in the direction that looks a whole lot more like Jesus. You're now a follower of Jesus, and your life should be noticeably different. And if it isn't, if it isn't, Jesus says, you will experience great loss. say, well, what do you mean great loss? The great news is that Jesus walks us out for us. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew chapter 10. As we're gonna finish this series called Live Sent, we've been going through the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 10, verse by verse, and, and we've looked at how Jesus called his disciples. He empowered them with his authority. He empowered them with his power, and he sends them out. He says, I'm sending you out, sheep amongst wolves. Make sure you're wise as serpents and that you're innocent as doves. Make sure you know that as you as you follow me and as you go out, just realize you're going to face all kinds of hardships. You're going to face difficulties. People are going to, to arrest you. People are going Going to flog you in the synagogues, your family is going to turn against you. You're going to suffer greatly if you are following me. And then last week we looked at how Jesus was saying, "But don't be afraid of the people that can kill your body." And again, we were talking about, you know, that that you know. I would naturally be afraid of that. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of the people that can kill your body. What you need to fear is the one who can kill body and soul, which is God. He's saying, listen, you need to fear. You need to be in respect. You need to be in awe of the one who can kill both body and soul because he says he knows everything about you. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He he knows when every sparrow falls. And so if he knows about the sparrow and when the sparrow falls, he knows how much more does he know about you? And he cares about you and he loves you and he's pursuing you and he wants you to know you don't need to be afraid because you're not alone. And now we drop down to verse 32, and that's where we pick up. Jesus continues. He says, so everyone who acknowledges, the word literally means to publicly profess, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also, excuse me, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies or does not profess or does not acknowledge me before men. I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. And again, this past week, uh, I spent a lot of time on these two verses specifically and and was looking at the the Greek tense of the word in its context and look at every other uh, time it was used in scripture to make sure that we fully get an accurate picture of what Jesus is saying here in the scriptures. And here's why this is so important. And you'll hear me say this quite often. I don't want your theology or what you believe to determine what the text of scripture is saying. You need to allow the text or the scriptures to determine your theology. A lot of times we'll, we'll feel a certain way or we'll think a certain way or that passage really makes me uncomfortable, so I need to change what I believe so I don't feel so bad. That can't be what Jesus is saying, but we need to realize this is what Jesus said, so that needs to formulate and determine what we believe. That's why as a church, the final authority for us is scripture, not just our feelings or what we wanna believe, it's what scripture teaches. So again, context is significant. And so this, this whole passage of Matthew 10 is about being a disciple. This whole passage of Matthew 10 is about following Jesus. This is not a heaven or hell conversation. This is a discipleship conversation that is having eternal Impact. And so Jesus is making it clear that when we follow him, we are going to face difficulties. When we follow him, we're going to face hardships. We're going to face persecution. So he's saying, listen, you shouldn't be afraid of others, of what they're going to think. You can't be afraid of what other people are going to say. You can't be afraid of what other people are going to do. And so just like last week when we looked at verse 27, it was this reference to this future day of judgment and this passage is referencing or alluding to that same judgment seat of christ in fact the apostle paul in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 says for we must all appear And when he says we he's talking about believers this is a this is a judgment to where only believers will stand before god and give an account it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat judgment, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And again, he's talking to the disciples, he's talking to the believers, and so he's saying, you're going to stand account, you're going to give an account for your life, both good and and what you did that was evil. Verse 32, let's go back and read it again. So he says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men or professes or makes me known, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And what Jesus is saying is that when you and I make Jesus known, make, make it known that we're following Jesus, he says, then my Father will, will, will acknowledge you. So here's what really you need to understand. How do we make Jesus known? Like, how do we profess? How do we not deny? Like, what does it look like for us to publicly profess? Well, one of the things that we talk about here and that we practice here is baptism. And again, baptism is a public profession of your faith. It's what happens inward. When you accept Christ as your savior, on the outside, we're going to acknowledge, we're going to celebrate through baptism, a life that's been changed. And the reason we immerse, two reasons. One, that's what Jesus did. So we follow the teachings and the methods of Jesus. So Jesus was immersed, means be fully dunked, if you will. But again, it's showing the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You're saying, I align with Jesus. I'm not embarrassed to celebrate it. I'm not embarrassed to let people know. I want to I make sure I you know, announce this. again, it's that I'm not going to deny Jesus before others. Another way that you can make sure that you aren't denying him, that you're professing, that you're acknowledging him before men is just sharing your faith. Just share your faith with people when, when the opportunity arises, Get, when, when God gives you an opportunity, when he opens that door, that you're not going to shrink back out of fear of what they might say or think less of you or, make, or tease you or make fun of you. But that you're just willing to just share what, what Christ has done in your life. Or maybe another way to, to acknowledge Christ before men is just to love people, just to serve people, just to care for people. And when people see you loving and living like Jesus, that again, there's something there that you can say that, you know, it's just, it's what Christ has done in my life and so my calling is to to serve others. There's something that so draws the human heart to wanna know what, what would cause you to love people like that, it's Jesus. And we realize that when we do that, Jesus says, when you make me known before others, I will make you known before the Father and he's gonna reward you. You know, if your kids have ever been in sports at the end of the, that, that semester or that you know, season, if you will, uh, they usually have a sports banquet. And then those sports banquets, depending on the, the different, uh, you know, what, what, your, what your child did or didn't do, they might get, a reward. They might get an award. It might be best player. It could be most improved. It could be a whole num- a number of different things. And the, those rewards look different. Sometimes it could be a certificate. Sometimes it could be a, a plaque. It could be a trophy. It could be something you put around your neck. It could be something you put on your letterman jacket. But either way, when they've done something well that the coach notices and recognizes, he publicly acknowledges your child in front of all these other people that he did a great job. And the same thing, this is what Jesus is getting at. He says, when you publicly profess me before others, I'm going to publicly profess you before my Father. And we just know from what Paul says, there's going to be a reward for that. See, heaven isn't what you're going to lose or you're gonna gain in that moment. It's the reward or reigning with Christ because it's a discipleship conversation verse 33 he goes on he says but whoever denies me before men I also will deny before my father who is another and again this is not talking about the utter denial like when Jesus said I never knew you that's not what he's talking about and again just 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 remember his audience he's talking to the disciples this isn't a heaven or hell conversation. This is a discipleship conversation. Think about the audience that he's talking to. When he's trying to prepare them, when he's sending them out, and he's going to tell you, listen, it's going to cost you. It's, you're going to face hardship. You're going to face persecution. The, these guys weren't afraid of being defriended on Facebook. Like, they weren't afraid that they weren't going to be invited to their parties on the street because they were following Jesus. I mean, these guys, their, their concerns, the things that they were seeing, that the people, the Christians, what they were experiencing, they were being arrested for following Jesus. They were being beaten for following Jesus. They were being scourged. They were being publicly put to death if they were following Jesus, just like some people in other parts of the world, are, it's happening to them today. That's his audience. That's who he's talking to. And again, without getting into all the Greek future indicatives and the aorist, you know, participles of these words, I don't want to bore you with all that. Here's here's what I want to boil it all down, and here's what I want you to see what Jesus is driving home. Here's what he's driving home. Our recognition and acknowledgement by God in heaven will be proportionate to our acknowledgement and recognition of Jesus here on this earth. I wanna say this again. Our acknowledgement and recognition by God in heaven will be proportionate to our acknowledgement and recognition of Jesus here on this earth. So let me ask you, who do you belong to? And what is that day that you're going to stand and I'm gonna stand before God and we're gonna give an account, the judgment seat of Christ, what is that day going to look like for you? See, Jesus wants to know, are you willing to associate with him even under public scrutiny? Are you willing to acknowledge him to other people and not be ashamed of who you belong to or Are you going to choose to deny him by just staying quiet? Not speaking up. When somebody asks a question, you don't want to get in an argument, so you're just going to totally stay away from it. Or are you going to deny him by living in such a way that nobody could tell that you're a follower of Jesus? Just like my roommate couldn't tell with me. Verse 34, he goes on. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, look at this, but a sword. Now, hold on. You're thinking, how in the world can that be? Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. Luke 1 tells us that Jesus was coming to guide our feet in the path of peace. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Jesus said, blessing will come to those who strive for peace. You might remember when Peter had his, had his ear cut off uh, excuse me, when Peter cut off the ear of the Roman soldier and Jesus kind of reprimanded him as he put his, the guy's ear back on him. He says, Peter, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. So again, when you hear all of that, you're saying, Jesus, how can you bring a sword? Not, again, not, not trying to be insensitive, not trying to push back, but Jesus, it almost sounds hypocritical. So what's he talking about? See, in Luke 19, Jesus is standing on a mountain, overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And he has tears in his eyes. And I, want, I just want you to listen to what he says. He says, Jerusalem, if you could only see this day. What day? Is he talking about? He's talking about a future day that's coming not too many years later. He's talking about 70 AD that's coming down the road when Titus, the Roman emperor, is going to ransack Jerusalem and kill, you know, and put to death over a half a million Jews. Jesus says, Jerusalem, if you could only see this day and if you only knew what would bring you peace, but it's hidden from your eyes. And Jesus is saying, listen, if the city of Jerusalem would just accept me as the Messiah, there would be peace. There would be peace in Jerusalem because I am the agent of peace. And so what Jesus is getting at is he wants his disciples to understand, I'm not bringing social peace. I'm not bringing political peace. I'm not bringing political reform. And the main reason that Jesus is helping them understand it and in using these words is because the Jews were expecting him to bring political peace. They were expecting Jesus, the Messiah, they were expecting the Messiah to overthrow the Roman Empire. They were expecting the Messiah would be this war hero. And so they kept waiting for it. And they kept seeing that, you know, whoever the Messiah is going to be, that he must be that kind of that war hero that's gonna to overtake, the to overthrow the Roman rule. And Jesus is making clear, that's not the kind of peace that I'm coming to bring. And see, in Matthew 10, Jesus is more or less saying, listen, if you think that I've come to rescue you from the Romans, you're wrong. I've not come for that kind of peace. I've come to stir it up. I've come and brought a sword. So decide, who do you belong to? Jesus goes on, verse 35. He says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Can you, can you imagine somebody running for office today with that campaign? Like, hey, if you vote for me and put me into office, you can pretty much be guaranteed your family's gonna turn against you. Like, can you, ima- it would be considered political suicide. Why be telling this to his disciples, the people that he's empowering and wanting to send out? Because Jesus understood, listen, I'm just gonna tell you up front, if you're gonna follow me, it's going to cost you your closest relationships. And you're, there might come a time when you have to choose between following me and your family. You just need to know this. And again, for me, this is just one of the things that I absolutely love about Jesus, that his mission was not to get people to like him. His mission wasn't to get a whole lot of likes. His, his mission wasn't to be politically correct. His mission was to seek and save the lost. His mission was to make and send disciples. He was gonna send them out. And he says, listen, as I'm gonna call you to live sin, as I'm sending you out, you need to know the truth in order to be prepared for what you are going to face. Because people will persecute you. I mean, just think about it. The message, the message of this guy named Jesus, who was arrested, who was put to death, who rose three days later, who claim to be the son of God, has now created such an unbelievable uproar in Jerusalem that the Roman emperors were becoming famous for how they were creatively killing the Christians. They were feeding them to lions. They were, they were you know, uh, killing them in, in the rings with, with gladiators. They were crucifying them And then they would set their bodies on fire. And then they would set them in gardens to where they would keep lit their gardens and their highways at night. That's what they were doing to Christians. Let me ask you, who do you belong to? Because Jesus is saying, listen, you need to know because it will cost you if you're going to follow me. See, some of you have already experienced some of this in your families. It's created some division. Again, it wasn't the goal. Jesus Jesus would never say that's the goal. But Jesus knew, unfortunately, it would be a result. If you're gonna follow me, there's a possibility it could create division in your family. Maybe For some of you, maybe you've been teased. Maybe you've been the butt of some of the jokes. Your old friends don't seem to understand and so they make comments. Maybe it's your spouse that says some things that are incredibly hurtful to you. You know, I've talked to Jews. I've talked to atheists, agnostics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. I've talked to Hindus, Muslims, all people who, Some of those folks, every single in that category, I've talked to people that have actually crossed the line of faith and chosen to accept and follow Jesus, and every single one has experienced division now with their family. Some were told to never talk to them again. See, the effects, the impact of following Jesus sometimes doesn't bring peace, but, but a sword. And what's a sword do? It cuts, it divides. It brings division sometimes in your home. But what Jesus wants you to know is, yeah, I'm not bringing social peace. I'm not bringing political peace, but the peace that I am bringing is spiritual peace. Jesus was coming to bring spiritual peace. Jesus wants to help you have peace with God because our sin, my sin, separates me from a perfect and holy God. I'm at odds with God because of my sin. The scriptures actually say that I'm an enemy of God because of my sin. James 4.4 says you adulterous people Don't you know that your friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot over here with God. He's saying, you choose, who do you belong to? That was where my roommate was so incredibly confused. Bob, who do you belong to? Colossians 1 20, it says, and through him, talking about through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth, look at this, by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Notice it doesn't say have faith in your faith. It doesn't say to have faith in a God, you just pick the God and whatever God you wanna pick, that's good, no, 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 he's crystal clear. He's saying it's, Jesus, Jesus plus nothing. Think about this. Jesus went to the cross. He endured all the suffering and the shame so that you and I could have peace with God through a relationship with Jesus. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me that he's offered and extended that kind of peace with God. And I don't know about you, but it brings me unbelievable peace to know that my sins are forgiven. Not because I did enough to deserve it, purely because God says, I love you. I gave my son as a payment for your sins. If you choose to accept me, if you choose to surrender to me and receive the gift of salvation through my son, then you're my child and I forgive you. I wipe your slate clean. Come on, why wouldn't you want that incredible gift? The peace that I have that God is no longer holding my sins against me. It's an unbelievable gift. That's true peace. That's spiritual peace. But that spiritual peace comes at a very high price. Jesus goes on to explain as he closes. He says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So, what's he mean? What's he mean by taking up his cross? See, in this context, in this particular chapter, this this verse, see, the cross meant death. People would have to carry their crosses to where they were going to be executed. So Jesus is saying, listen, following me is going to cost you your life. It's gonna cost you your life. If you wanna find your life in this world that this world has to offer, he's saying at the judgment seat of Christ, you're gonna lose it all. You're gonna lose it all. But if you're willing to forego what this world has to offer in order to follow Jesus, He says, you're gonna have life and life to its fullest. The king is going to reward what's most valuable to him. Paul wrote, wrote in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the cost of following Jesus, the cost of that, is going to be your life. It means at the cross, just think about this, at the cross, when you come to the cross, when you realize that you you need Jesus for your salvation, it is you going down to the cross and you giving up your rights to live your life the way you wanna live it. See, coming to Christ isn't praying a prayer. See, coming to Christ is you recognizing your desperate need for saving, for your desperate need to be reconciled back to a perfect and holy God. You are you coming to Jesus, you coming to the cross, he's saying it's going to cost you your life because now at the foot of the cross, I'm going to give up my rights. I, it's no longer my life to live. And so I am freed up. I am now just whatever God wants me to be and do, I'm his. Because at the cross, I gave up, I've been crucified with Christ It's no longer I who lives, but him who lives in me. My question is for you, are you willing? Are you willing to follow him knowing the cost? And just as Jesus was willing to sacrifice his life on the cross for you, are you willing to make the sacrifices to follow him. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? See, to me, it's a sad reality in so many churches because so many churches find themselves begging the Christians to please serve and to please give and to please get in a group and to please get in a discipling relationship. And it's almost this begging and pleading, which just boggles my mind. See, those aspects serving, we should be modeling for the rest of the world, for the businesses, corporations should be flooding the church to say, how do you inspire your people to serve with such joy and with such commitment? They should be coming to us to learn how do you get your people to do this? And our answer should be so easy because based on what Christ has done for us, the easiest thing for me to do is to serve. Like that's, like, that's a no-brainer. Like, that should be one of the easiest natural responses of gratitude. Why wouldn't I when Christ has done so much? Why in the They should be coming to the church to find out how our church is so well-funded. Because we give out of obedience and out of faithfulness because it's all God's anyway. Like, we should be setting the standard on how all of that happens. We should be letting people know the outside. They should be coming to us, the church. Why? Because of everything that Jesus has done for us, it should be that natural response for us as followers just out of gratitude and out of worship that we would respond out of obedience and I love you enough as your pastor to call you up that this has got to be our response that if we're going to say that we're about making disciples who love and live like Jesus and you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, just like I'm pursuing being a, a follower, a disciple maker of Jesus, then how we live sin, how we love and live like Christ, people are going to be watching and we need to be setting the example of what it looks like to live this transformed life. Why? Because we are followers. And yeah, there's gonna be things that are gonna be hard and there are gonna be things that are gonna be difficult. We might struggle and we might go through difficult, painful times, but guess what? Guess what we do, side Life? We obey and follow Jesus because loving us costs Jesus his life. And living sent by following Jesus will cost you yours. So here's the question. Who do you belong to? And if your response is Jesus, that's who you belong to, then everybody should know, because you're living sent by loving and living like Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you. Lord, thank you so much for the call that you give on our lives. And Lord, there are parts of this, of following you, that by no means is easy. It's incredibly hard. But Lord, if I'm honest, I think accepting you as my Lord and Savior is one of the easiest decisions in my life. Following you has been one of the hardest because I've gotta continually die to my selfish needs and desires. And so maybe this morning, maybe right in your living room or wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening to this, right there. Today, for some of you, today is the day that you are going to give up your rights at the cross, that you're going to surrender, that you're going to finally say, Jesus, I, I want this spiritual peace that you've offered because for you, this isn't, this isn't for you necessarily this mature following, this, this is for you of choosing on the front end of saying, I need to start following. You've tried living life your way. but When you come to the cross, it's no longer about your your way. It's now about his way. And so right there, right where you are, you just say, God, today, today, I'm asking you, to come in and say, I want to be reconciled back to you. And I realize that your plan was through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. That if he would have just stopped at the cross, then it would have been negated. He would just be another martyr. But because three days later he rose from the dead, it validated and proved that he truly is the son of God and he has the power over death. And so you say, God, I'm putting my faith, my confidence, my trust, my my eternity in Jesus alone. Come into my life and save me. I no longer am I. I'm no longer my own. I'm crucified now with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but you who now live within me. I'm yours. And see, your next step of obedience is going to be baptism, where you're going to publicly profess, where you're not ashamed, or you're not embarrassed, you're not scared. You're just going to let people know, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. We want to help you grow and mature in that relationship with Christ for those of us who have already accepted Christ, to the people around you, the people you work with, to the people in your neighborhood, do they know who you belong to because you have chosen to live sin and you cared well for people? God, let us be different. Let us be different in a way that's gonna draw people to you, not repel people away from you. And as a church, as we are scattered about, God, help us maximize the time that you've given us to love the people closest to us so that they'll know we belong to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.